The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmozone Podcast, episode 38. Today's episode is sponsored by Sheath Underwear, the most comfortable pair of underwear I've ever worn in my life. We're here in Abu Dhabi. It's hot. It's humid. I'm sweaty. This is the underwear that protects my balls. They got the dual pouch protector. They're comfortable. I love this stuff. Get yourself some. Use the promo code SCHMO. Get 20% off. Oh, you don't believe me? I'm wearing it right now. The other sponsor of today's podcast is So Right. You saw the Schmo episodes, the Schmo and the Pro episodes with Michael Chandler, the Korean Zombie, utilizing the So Right, low back pain, the psoas muscles, hip flexors, shoulders, the little grooves in there. They massage your body right. Go to SoRight.com, check it out. You will not be disappointed. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone, episode 38. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Yee. Sports isn't my last thing, so... Okay, so just clarifying that. And today's amazing guest is the wonderful and talented, the one and only Megan Olivi. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, thanks for joining us. We are on the beautiful deck of the W Hotel here in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, we are. This is uh, our home for weeks at a time here in Abu Dhabi. It's an amazing host. It's been a great hub for us, so W's treat us well. It has. I just want to start off by saying this, because I noticed this. One of my favorite things to do is read people and read people well, but you have this amazing, uncanny ability to put on your game face when the camera's on because you have a great outgoing personality and then when the camera's on, the action's on, it's like I can watch your face just transform into <laughs> on camera, on air, Megan Olivia mode and it's uh, amazing, it's professional and uh, it's one of a kind. Thank you, yeah. It is different though, that's for sure. Like my, me in real life is different than me on camera but I think that's how we all are, right? What was that adjustment period like for you to, you know, get into that uh, mode, that on-camera mode? Because that necessary, that might not have been your first passion in life. This direction that uh, everything's turned to. Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think for me, it's kind of a balance. Like I do like to show who I am and make sure that my personality comes out. I think that's what makes all of us unique as media members or as people who conduct interviews and work with athletes. So I try not to lose who I am, but it's also like I'm way more professional on camera than it would be outside. Like I'm pretty easygoing, I, I'm quiet if I don't really know somebody, and um, but I, I need to make sure that I'm doing my job to the best of my ability. So it kind of took a little bit to find that right balance, but I think I've got it now. <laughs> For sure. And here in Abu Dhabi, we do a lot of MMA, obviously covering the UFC, yeah. but I also know that you do a lot of work with the NFL, but yeah. this pandemic's probably put a lot of wrinkle in those plans. I'm just curious right off the bat, did. Where um, are you doing the NFL at all uh, this this year? Is there a playoff bubble? 
what do you hear on that front? Yeah, I mean, hopefully I can. So I was offered some games that, because of how we're traveling to Fight Island this time around, um, I was I had to turn down. So last time we left on Mondays, and this time we left on Fridays, which meant that whole weekend I wouldn't I would be unable to uh, work football games. So I had to turn a couple of them down. And then there's a rule that you can't be out of the country um, for any more. You have to be in America, I should say or two weeks before you work a game. So even some of my colleagues, um, like Kenny Albert, who was in the NHL bubble in Canada, he was safe, he was fine, he was tested multiple times, he couldn't go back to calling games until he was in the United States for two full weeks. So even when I came back for the like 10 or 12 days that we came back, I couldn't work football because I wasn't in the US long enough, and then I'll have to take a couple of weeks before I can. And then we're like more than halfway through the season, so hopefully I'll get at least a couple of games in or maybe some features. The, the crew over at NFL on Fox is always so great and accommodating and understanding, as is the UFC, because, you know, this is, this is my main role here. So it's, uh, I'm really hopeful that I'll get to do some games because, I, you know, I love it. It's different. It's nice to mix things up and kind of, like, see what else is going on um, in the sports world. And for me, it's, it's just fun to, like, kind of, you know, work on that role as well and make sure I'm continuing to get better and succeed and grow. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, when I have some weekends off from UFC and I'm back in America for a while, I'll get on the field. Yes, best of both worlds. But I'm curious to know kind of what are some of the differences to prep for an NFL game compared to UFC fight week? Yeah, it's a good question because, um, you know, there's obviously more football players, uh, certainly when you combine both teams and there are fighters that we're covering on a specific card, um, but you're not telling as many unique individual stories, I guess. So what we do on Fridays, we'll meet with the um, home team, we'll go to their practice, we'll do a couple of interviews with coaches, probably like five or six different people between players, coaches, and personnel. And then on Saturday, when the visiting team lands, we'll meet with them, same thing, five or six people uh, for me, I'm like a, a super over-preparer, so I will have like seven pages of different storylines that I've gathered um, from one-on-one -on -one conversations to make sure. It's always important, no matter what I'm doing, that I can say like, I spoke to this person. Not hearsay, not something I read, like I, from the horse's mouth, this is what I got, this is what they told me. So I kind of like take all Saturday night and I make sure that no matter what situation we are in a game, no matter offense, defense, blowout, close game, um, star players, newcomers, I have something that I can add to that broadcast. So, you know, that's probably like 20-something, you know, pre-made reports, plus you're talking about action on the field, but it's a much shorter work day. Uh, <laughs> games are much shorter, you know, we're only, you know, now with COVID, uh, the rules have certainly changed. We're, we're not even allowed to be on the field the way we were before, but it's a, it's a shorter work day. It's a lot of different prep. Um, but it's still, for me, it's about storytelling. And so it's just trying to figure out, um, making sure you have all your bases covered because, you know, there's sometimes in game you'll hear from a reporter 15 times and sometimes you'll just hear one injury report and that's it. You, it's, it's not predetermined like sometimes we're able to do with UFC when you'll have walkout reports for certain things. So, yeah, it's just making sure, like, you're over-prepared with every aspect of the game. And I know you just got out of UFC 254, you know, broadcast yeah. meetings. You got DC. Mm -hmm. I know Dan Hardy's there. Michael Chiesa's yeah. on the desk. Let's talk about this because this is a huge, huge week. Uh, what were those broadcast meetings like? Because there's no shortage of storytelling. We got Habib and Justin Gaethje. It's a huge fight card. Yeah, I mean, it is huge and it feels huge. Um, and it's always great 
to be able to have all these different uh, fight minds in one room. But when it is a pay-per-view, you know, it's John Anik, usually Daniel Cormier and myself, or whoever's in Daniel's role, if it's, you know, uh, Dominic Cruz or Paul Felder or Michael Bisping, we're just, uh, we're streamlined because we only get a certain amount of time with each athlete. So there's a lot of prep that goes in beforehand. Uh, John leads our meetings and then Daniel Cormier will go and then I'll make sure I'm getting what I need at the end. And we have about 15 minutes for each guy. So it really has to be, you have to be firing on all cylinders to get the best information you can out of them, but make sure you're not redundant with maybe interviews they've done throughout the week and you're not wasting their time and you're not holding them longer so the person behind them now has their schedule messed up. So it's um, it's a unique situation, but it's always really fun. Those are, those are private closed door things where no one is filming them unless they're choosing to film it themselves. So oftentimes fighters are more open, they're a little more relaxed um, because nothing that happens in that room will ever be said until the broadcast begins. And then even then, sometimes fighters are like, uh, you know, don't say this at all. But it just kind of helps build a rapport. So it's, I, I really enjoy being able to have those experiences with the team. Is that a lot different than preparation for fight nights? Yeah, I would say so um, because we just want to make sure, like especially with somebody who's making their debut, you know, we're finding out as much as we can so we can ask them about it. I think if you don't do the preparation before the fighter meetings, you can be left with a lot of holes. You know, you can be like, oh, I wonder why they did this or how they felt about that. So it's it's a lot more background work. And then for fight night, it's more about, you know, the, the fight week experience. You've already done all the, all right, you've watched all the fights. You've talked to them about these past experiences. Now you're focused more on the lead up and what's going to happen on Saturday. Yeah, we had John Gooden on the podcast last week, and he shares very similar sentiments to you. There are intimate conversations that go on, but could you tell us the vibe that you felt with Habib? This is his first fight <laughs> week without his father. This is huge. Yeah. You know, this is 28-0, trying to go for 29-0. Everyone knows he's looking for 30-0 before he retires. What's the vibe that you felt from him and maybe Justin Gaethje yeah. this yeah. week? Yeah, well, so um, Habib was actually on Zoom, um, so his was on the computer, but he was great. He was fun. Him and Daniel Cormier have such a great rapport because they're teammates. It kind of really helps the meeting because they're kind of joking. And at this point, they have done so much media that it's almost like, okay, we only need 10 minutes because we've watched or we will make sure we're taking in the press conference that happens after this and stuff like that. So when you mention his dad, I think something we're really sensitive of um, is not beating a dead horse in these meetings. Yeah because there's nothing he's going to say about that heartbreaking loss that he hasn't already said. And why continue to, to bring it up with him? And that is going to be a huge story for this fight. No matter what, it's unavoidable. It's in the lead up. We're going to have to ask him about it. You know, I certainly assume on Friday at weigh-ins, it's a question I will have to ask. It's not something I take any pleasure in, the same kind of Feeling with Walt Harris with his last fight yeah. where, you know, you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to bring this up for you as you're getting ready, but you also have a job to do and you have to. Um, but then, you know, we just talked to Walt and I, I asked him, I was like, is it a relief to get that fight week over? And he was like, yeah, because I, you know, I was crying all the way up until I walked out. Um, so it is a storyline, but today he was great. Um, he was laughing he was being funny 
Uh, Justin Gaethje was awesome. Trevor Whitman was in there, like, taking these professional photos with him and, a, and this lamp that was on the table. So they <laughs> both were really, they seemed energetic. Yeah. They seemed relaxed. They seemed uh, on the time zone. I mean, obviously, um, uh, Khabib has been nearby. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a great vibe. And that's how you want the fighters to be. You want to feel like they are well-rested and they feel good because then you know, okay, this could be a really, really good fight if they're feeling their best. Well, what about the co-main event? Speaking of like great vibes, we spoke to Jared Cannonier yesterday. He was in a great mood. Yeah, I love his zen, right? <laughs> he was telling us about his necklace his, and yes. his stone and his crystals. I love his zen and his vibe. And Robert Whitaker, I just, I just think, is one of the nicest, realest people in the game. I think, uh, you know, we, we talked to him about it a little bit, but like, I think he has helped so many fighters by being vocal about yeah. needing to take a break when yes. he was burnt out. And I think that is so admirable because I think oftentimes many people feel that way and are too embarrassed to maybe admit it. But when you have a guy like Robert Whitaker saying it's okay, I think I think he did a real lot of good for our roster without even realizing it. And he's so realistic too. It's like he even if he wins this fight and he gets a championship bout, before Christmas, he's like, I got to think about it for my family. You know, I got yeah. three young children. Christmas comes first in the Whitaker family, and that's so admirable to think about. Uh, one thing I have to ask you, though, too, is we've done a lot of these fights now here on Fight Island, and it only seems to continue. With this Habib Gaethje card, this is the only one that seems to go on local time here. Yeah. It's not being, it's not starting at 1 a.m. or yeah. 2 a.m. or whatever. Is that because of Habib he has the power here? What do you think that's You know for? what? I'm not quite sure. That is that is a good question. Um, when he fought here last year against Dustin Poirier, it was the same scenario. Yep. So you have to think maybe, but I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I do know that I am struggling with the time change <laughs> these past couple of days. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sleeping maybe three hours because we were all staying up through the night and then going to bed at 10 o'clock in the morning because that's what we had to do for these fights. So yeah, it's been a little bit, it's been a little challenging, but yeah, we, I think on fight night we'll be appreciative of it. Oh yeah. As the airplanes take off right over yeah. us, we are outside, outside the W for everybody listening and not watching the podcast too. We did the same thing as you. We flew here for UFC mm -hmm. 253. Yeah, we flew back home. to Vegas. We were home for about a week and a half. Then we came back for the Korean zombie Ortega yep. fight card and obviously staying for UFC 254. It's crazy what we're doing to our bodies. It is. I feel like I've aged like 500 years. You're always beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank though. you. Okay. But I just feel so old. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, oh, it's it happening. Like adjusting to the Vegas time zone. Is, yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. I think when we go back, we're all in for like a couple of days of struggle. I already told Joseph, I was like, I am not cooking the first two days I'm home. So prepare. I mean, prepare to order from wherever because I'm not stepping foot in the kitchen unless we get something out of the are a great cook. Hey, I always look you. at your IG story and I'm like, damn, that looks super yeah. good. Oh, thanks. I try. I love cooking. It's and I love feeding people. That's kind yeah. of more of what it is. Like, I love eating. That's like my number one hobby. Hey, but, us uh, too. Right? Oh, yeah, man. it's the best. And we live in a great food town. But yeah. for me, I think it's the way I grew up in being in an Italian household. It's like that's how you show love is you feed people. Yeah. So if you come to my house, I like don't really accept no as an answer that you're not hungry. I'm like, no, but you are. Here's like eight things that you have to eat. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always cooking. I actually did a little cooking segment here. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, to get fight fans prepared for um, a card that is brunch time. 
So it's very easy recipes that your average fight fan can follow to have a good brunch as they watch fights. Your so. recipes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, nice and easy though. It wasn't anything <laughs> complicated. It's like Nutella French toast, like things oh. people have in their house, but showing them how to make it. Yeah, but I noticed that you even cook something like marinara sauce from scratch. Yeah. You don't go store-bought or anything like that. You make it all from scratch. Yeah, and most of the time it's like my own tomatoes and everything that oh, I wow. that I like put through the process of canning and everything. So um, there are part times of the year where I have to buy things canned. Um, I don't make my own tomato paste. Goals, I want to. Goals. But uh, everything else is from scratch completely. Yeah, like I, it is more time consuming and it's, harder I guess on myself but I just I, I have a hard time when things are uh, not from scratch and so yeah it takes a little bit more time but it's it's always worth it yeah David loves cooking too I'm embarrassed to say he's the uh, chef no in, that's in our great. relationship I'm the dishwasher per okay perfect <laughs> somehow I'm both in my and toilet cleaner <laughs> She's, she does a great job cleaning uh, chef schmo I mean there's a lot of time especially during the pandemic love to cook you know it's just uh, something I just enjoy doing it's so yeah. much more rewarding and I think when you're on the road so much yeah people yeah. like assume oh you must like love going to restaurants or it's like sometimes you just want your own cooking or your own food and you don't want to go to a restaurant no matter how good it is and that's the thing is like we travel enough where we don't have a choice so it's nice to be able to just choose to do it on our own and like just just make things a little healthier. Yeah, know you what know you're what's going on. Yeah. Yes. And how much more rewarding is it when you're in a restaurant and you order something like, man, I make this so much better. Oh, yeah. Especially Brussels sprouts. Yeah, and they, <laughs> oh, he loves love Brussels, Brussels sprouts. But it's like in the restaurant, they charge like 65 bucks. And then when you make it yourself, yeah. you're like, oh, this only costs Especially when you place. know yes. the ingredients going into it. Like, obviously, you as you know, to be a good chef, fresh herbs make everything oh, so yeah. much better. And then when they charge up the wazoo for certain things, it's like, man, I could have just made this myself at a fraction of the cost. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So it saves money, and it just it just feels better. You don't have to leave your house, even though that sounds so silly during COVID when we were all complaining about not being able to leave. But, yeah, it just it makes things better. <laughs> for sure. So you've been all over the world now. I mean, here we're in beautiful Yas Island, Abu Dhabi. What's been your favorite destination that isn't here, Fight Island, that you've you've been to so far while doing everything with the UFC? Um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, a few come to mind. Um, probably Tokyo is my favorite place. I've, had, I've been fortunate enough to go a couple of times. But Singapore, I absolutely love. Mexico City was amazing. I've been there a few times. And then maybe Vancouver. Those are like my top. But Tokyo is one of my favorite cities in the world. And I've only been able to go there because of work. Uh, like I said, I've been there a few times, but it's always with UFC. And so that's probably my number one. It's it's unlike any other. It's like New York City on steroids. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's sushi, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did the we did the breakfast sushi after the the market, and um, it's just so clean and so safe, and everybody's so welcoming, and the food's so amazing. It's just the fashion scene, like it's all so good. <laughs> well, is there somewhere that you haven't been yet that you would love to travel to? I think like every place in the world. I yeah. think. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but the more you travel, it's almost like the more places you realize you haven't been. Yeah. True. So it's like, okay, I've been to a lot of places in Europe, but not nearly as many as I want to go to. And then I, I would love to go to places like Morocco and Egypt. And then, you know, there's places in South America I haven't gone to. So, and there's a ton of places in America I haven't even gone to. Like, I haven't even gone to the Grand Canyon. We can drive there. 
We were supposed to go there for my birthday in yes. March, but that's when the pandemic literally started. We yeah. were going to go camp. We we're going to stay overnight. Yeah. But literally, it put a monkey wrench. It was my 30th birthday, too. It put oh. a monkey wrench in all of our plans. Yeah. Horseshoe Bend was on the list, too. Yes. We've yet to go. There's so much stuff to do. I mean, you say that now, too. Have you checked out The Social Dilemma? Have you no, on Netflix? I'm too scared. I'm scared to watch Yeah, I'm scared to watch it, too. We are so connected to our phones as yeah. a society. Like, going out in the wilderness for a couple of days and just turn off social media that's uh that's something we need to do it can get toxic social media for sure and i just think people are people are too dependent on it connected on it they get their validation from it so i always i always i try to limit it like i barely use twitter anymore because i just i just try and limit what i'm using and why i'm using it and how i'm using it um and so for me it's just yeah, I agree. It's it's not necessarily the best place, so I just try and take a step back, and I, I feel like it's I've actually felt a lot better about things because of it. I'm like, you know what? It's not it's not worth that one or two comments that yeah. might be bad out of out of so many that could be good. Those are the ones that stay with you, and it's natural. And people are like, don't listen to the haters. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, and it's it's not our human way. So I just think for me, I limit a lot of what I do or what I put out there, and it, it's made things a little bit easier. But I have to add, I do admire not only how you carry yourself, but just Thank like, you. you know, your professionalism and how you, you are both off camera, on <laughs> camera, and on social media. So. Thanks. That means a lot. No, I, I try. I like, you know, I always look at it as like, I want my dad and my nieces, and, you know, I want them to be able to look at anything I put on social media and be proud and... Um, no, I just want to conduct myself in a way that I'll look back on and be happy with. And so, um, you know, I think that there's whatever makes a person comfortable and happy and is their prerogative, I support, but it doesn't have to be everyone else's. You know what yeah. I mean? So for me, I'm a little bit more conservative about things. I'm a little bit, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm not always showing like, you know, crazy things about my life, but I... I want to put out there an example, if I can, that is a positive one, that you don't have to have, like, that stereotypical um, way to the industry. Like, I'm sure you hear all the time, Helen, but it's like people people will talk to us as if, like, we haven't earned what we've gotten and we haven't put in the yeah. work. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, um, <laughs> I hard. have my master's. Like, I have worked from literally making no money all the way to where I am now, which, you know, I still this – this is not – even close to like where I believe I can be at the end of the day but we're always working towards it and we're always doing the best we can and morally and doing things the right way and maybe that's a slower path but it's it's the path that when you lay your head down on the pillow at night like you can feel good about yourself and so you don't like that's that's what I always think it's like okay yeah there'd probably be a faster way to get to things if I like I'm like hey here's me in a bathing suit or here's me doing this like but no, like that's not me. If it's good for somebody else, that's that's amazing for them. But it's like I wanna I wanna put that example out there in case one of my nieces wanna follow in my footsteps. I want them to know like you can still do it that way. And I respect that a million percent. I respect you. You know I love you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Likewise, I love you. We're all sitting here because we work hard. And yeah. Social media, yeah. it's like a human scrapbook. This stuff is gonna live here forever. Yeah. We are. This is like the wild wild west of the internet. Yeah. Like five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line, people are gonna be able to search the internet and see these photos, yeah. see these mm-hmm. tweets, see these images that you put on there. So, so many people aren't cognizant of it. And then there's so much hatred in the world too, like what you said too at the very beginning of 
what we're going off on, it's like it's so easy to want to respond to that. But think about what's going on in their lives for somebody yeah. to say something so negative towards you and everything like that in that very moment. And they could say so much hate towards you. I'm sure you two as women, yeah. good looking women, get that all different time. It's like for me personally, I play a character. I hate <laughs> social media. I don't do anything for David Schmolz. Hey, yeah. I just do it for the schmo. So I can only imagine how much you guys have to go through on a daily basis from these messages. Yeah, it sucks. But you know what? Somebody told me something once that kind of stayed with me and I try and I try and bring that back into the forefront of my mind when I'm upset about something. It's like nobody who's doing better than you is gonna go on the internet and write a mean comment about you. True. You know, and so they're like, that's actually a really great point. Like the people that I look up to would never like go on to Twitter or leave me an Instagram comment that uh, that is negative, you know? So I just have to always remember that. It's like, you're right. People who do that have nothing else to do. And if you have nothing else to do, what a yeah. sad state that is. Yeah, that's <laughs> <You know? true. laughs> Yeah. But, um, you know, speaking of things that you've accomplished, obviously, like you've achieved so much yeah. in your Thank career you. and someone that I look up to, but what are some of the goals that you have for yourself. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, I mean, I want to grow this role that I'm in yeah. with UFC. I mean, if I had my wish, we would be doing a report on every fighter. Like, you know, I do these walkout reports, and you'll yeah. see, you know, sometimes you'll see two, and sometimes you'll see six in a night. If I if I could, I would do one every single every single walk because I think every single fighter has a story that deserves to be told, and there's like interesting aspects that are maybe not necessarily um, anything to do with what they're doing inside the octagon, but something I think the viewer should still hear about, should still know about, should still care about. That's something that ESPN Plus should pick up and put at least on their platform yeah. for digital. Yeah. So you, the Megan Olivi profile of every <laughs> single know. UFC yeah. fighter. Pitch it to them? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I pitched a lot to them, but uh, you know, I never stop. But I, you know, I would love to continue to grow that role. I think, um, you know, outside of UFC, I, I'm fortunate to do the NFL. I continue to grow there, which, you know, this is my third season. So it's important to continue to do that. And then, you know, somebody I'm friends with, but I also really look up to, um, you know, Kelly Ripa, which she does oh. with Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that is a huge goal. I think I just love people's stories so much that to be able to speak with people from all walks of life is so interesting to me you know uh they have mma fighters on there but then they'll have actors and musical acts and magicians and just like everything you can think of and to me that's really cool um and she's like one of the greatest people i have ever met like genuinely so um it's it's something that i aspire to for sure yeah i saw that photo of you and joe with uh Kelly and Ryan Seacrest yeah. that must have been uh, one of those goals those bucket list things yeah I mean like um I've known her we've known their family for a while now so it was awesome that Joe got to be a guest on there and you know kind of like get to that level which was very cool but uh, you know as personally they've really welcomed us in as, as family into their home and into their uh friend group and their family group and so that's been really awesome and she's been a really good source of advice and um you know, I would love to like be able to fill in for her on days where she's off the show, and it's something that's been talked about. So it's just been, that's it's just awesome. been a yeah. It's, it, she's amazing, but you know, my my thing is I just never want to be stagnant. Like no matter what it is, I just you know I I'm starting to host more for UFC because I didn't want to just be 
you know, pigeonholed into this one thing, not pigeonholed, I should say, but I just didn't want to only be able to do this one thing. I wanted to be able to tell the team, hey, if you need me to step into this role, I can do it. If you need me to step into that role, I can do it. So that's really important to me, to be able to do multiple things, to be able to continue to grow and to bring new, new parts to it. I mean, a few years ago, nobody would have thought I'd be standing on the octagon talking about somebody for 30 seconds as they're walking out and like telling their childhood stories, you know what I mean? But now, People really like it and they've really taken to it. So that's what I want to continue to do to elevate the brand, to elevate the athletes and to really um, tell the stories that need to be told. You guys know every person has such a wild story of how they got to the UFC or what their childhood was like or what their life is like now as a fighter. That that deserves to be told. So all of that is, you know, those are definitely goals I continue to work towards. And you have such an interesting uh kind of vantage point of this sport too. Uh, you're married to Joseph Benavidez, yes. one of the top MMA fighters in the game. And there's a lot of people that are turning in, tuning into MMA for the first time, especially because of the pandemic and the USC being the first professional sport back, you know. Fortunately, there's a lot of people that tune in and they just see like a lot of blood, gut score and just yeah. fighting. They don't really understand the martial arts aspect mm -hmm. of the sport, of the nature of this, of the level of respect. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of touch on that for all those kind of casual or people that are new to the sport and getting into it and really starting to learn things? Yeah, you know what's funny is I've gotten so many messages throughout COVID that are like, oh my God, me, my mom, my grandma, like love you because you tell these stories we would have never watched, but we saw you and we kept it on. And then we were like, oh my gosh, did you hear about this person? And now they watch all these fights. There's probably like 10 different groups that started sending me messages uh, when we started the Jacksonville card. And then it was just, it's been really cool because there is so much more to be offered. And we don't question that in other sports. We don't question that in football or in hockey where you still see these hard hits or these fights or, you know, whatever it may be. We don't, we don't ever question that they are not uh, human beings with backstories and this and that going on for them. But for some reason we do uh, for mixed martial arts. And I, I want to change that because, I, like I said during the media day earlier this week or was it last week? I don't know, I'm jet lagged. But <laughs> last week where I said, you know, I approach everything as if it's Joseph because like Joe is just like my favorite person in the entire world and I feel like he's got so much to offer the world and there's so many things I want everyone to know about him and so when I am approaching the sport I, I think like okay like what would I want people to know about Joe like okay what do I want people to know about this fighter or how can I approach this interview to give them the best platform like I'm, I'm kind of like the pitcher in home run derby I'm trying to like serve up the best questions I can so they can hit it out of the park and explain themselves to the public so yeah I, I, I think there's so much more they are such great athletes there is so much respect between fighters even if they go in with heat they usually end with handshakes or hugs True. or friendship like we saw with zombie and Ortega you know Amazing. so it's the like yeah. there's just so much to, to offer the world with the sport and if I can add a little bit to that you know it's my honor do you notice if there is any differences between getting to know the fighters compared to like the NFL players yeah um I mean that's a it's it's a good question but it's hard to answer because I think uh, football players are a little bit more conditioned to like media and having to go to media and having to answer certain questions and just it's part of it's part of the process so they sometimes I feel like they want to hurry through but sometimes I also feel like because they're used to it they're a little bit more comfortable and they're a little bit more open yeah um, so I think it's all sort of an individual basis I would say yeah. they're pretty similar across the board 
but you might get fighters who are relatively new to this whole world, and so they're um, a little more closed, closed off, or they're not quite sure how to answer things, and, you know, it's our job to open them up, but you also get football players who are either shy, or they're over it, or, you know what I mean? Sure. So it's kind of, kind of yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, just, we've all, I guess, have mm -hmm. experience uh, covering NFL players, and then the biggest difference I have, and you can even throw NBA players into that, is not all of them are this way, but there's a lot of entitlement, like the Pop yeah. Warner football and everything like that, the Nike Elite 11s or whatever, you have scouts, you have marketers, agents, you have people pitching at them, throwing money at them at young age, teenage age, and giving them all this attention and stuff like that, so they're conditioned to the spotlight, to the media of that sort of entitlement, and some of these fighters come from nothing they're yeah. like literally they're they're working regional scenes and then uh they get their finally their big moment so there's a, definitely a big difference in the seesaw it's not like that for sure. everyone but i've definitely noticed that a lot between fighters and M M uh, nfl football players yeah i mean i've i've been really fortunate i've worked with great teams and everybody's been so kind and it also really helps me especially my first season that they're all huge ufc fans yes oh, so yeah. they would be like what are you doing here? And you know, that kind of like got me already their trust in an in there. So they were a little bit more like, I'd have to be like, okay, well we can't talk about this on air. So let's yes. talk about the things we can. That was, that was That's actually awesome. Max Crosby. Shout out to oh, Max yeah. Crosby of the Raiders. Huge yeah. MMA yep. fan, huge Anderson Silva fan. I love that kid. He's awesome. And he's a stud, but there are some amazing football. I mean, there's just so many cause there's 53 people on a roster, right? right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, we all love covering all sports, all yeah. athletes to the to the get go. And now with Raiders in Vegas, could we see you reporting there more? Well, they're traditionally on CBS. They're not really oh, that, that big of a. Oh, I, I actually AFC is uh, CBS. I and, did okay, have a Raiders game. I've had, no, no, no. I've had a Raiders game before. So I had Raiders versus Browns. Uh, Baker Mayfield's first ever NFL start was my game. Um, so I have had Raiders games before. But I'm like, that would be so nice to just drive there and then drive back the same day you know yeah. what I mean that would be so great but um I'd love to, I'd, I would certainly love to do more Raiders games uh we'll see what the future has let's uh end the podcast on this note I mean obviously we're going through a global pandemic it's tough times but uh any young aspiring broadcaster out there um what's your best advice knowing what you know now and kind of how to navigate through these difficult times like what, would you, what kind of advice would you give somebody? Uh, I would say do the work. Um, do the work. You do not start out in a glamorous position. You, I suggest some sort of schooling. But if you're not going to do that, like get as much hands-on as you can. Um, learn how to shoot. Learn how to edit. Learn how to produce. Uh, me as a talent, that's probably been my biggest benefit, is that I got hands-on experience through college and graduate school, and I took it a lot more from a producer's role than a talent role. Um, and that kind of helps me in the field now where I can think about things as a producer, even if I don't have one with me, or here I don't need the producers to really check up on me because they trust the work that I'm doing. And, and they under I understand the angle I am supposed to be coming from in terms of who is my audience? What am I, what is my role this broadcast? You know what I mean? So do the work and like, you might have to work for zero dollars in an internet show that six people watch, but get your reps, learn. There is somebody to learn from all the time and then just continue to grow and try new opportunities. You will have things you love and things you hate, but it's important to have both, right? Like, because you don't know what you 
which you don't know until you do it. 100%. All the respect to that. You got to be willing to take a step sideways or a step backwards yeah. to take two steps forward. And anyone who just, you know, reaches out just to try to get into MMA, treat, go to your local regional scene. Treat yes. it like your Super Bowl. You yes. know, treat every athlete like it's Conor McGregor or Habib Narmagomedov. Make it your own. Like you said, you need to get your reps. You need to get your experience. And, yeah. uh, uh, what you said, uh, 100% on board with. And that they shouldn't be expecting, you know, a huge paycheck. Yeah. Because in the beginning, at least, like, for me, I was, I had to save up, you know, money and, like, buy airtime. Yeah. It, it was we, we paid yeah. our We paid our way to get to these UFC oh, yeah. events, you I know? Used to, yeah. I used to steal my breakfast and lunch from the green room where I worked because I couldn't afford it. Yeah. I'd go in so early, I'd sneak in, get a coffee, take a muffin. And right before they threw out the breakfast food, I'd be like, okay, I'll have what's left, I'll take it. Because I had no money, but I, yeah. this is what I needed to do. And there is always somebody who wants to do the same thing as you. And there's always going to be somebody who's more educated or who's prettier or who has more connections. But there is nothing like doing the work and doing the work the right way. And I, I think that's the best advice I can give. Amen. Very well said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth. Episode 38 of the Schmozone podcast on Yas Island, Fight Island. I love you guys. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>